right, we are back again with commodities with my great colleague uh, Ole Hansen, and I've been looking forward to this because we have missed um, an episode on uh, on commodities, and so many things are happening. So today we're going to talk about you know the speculation about where the peak rates has finally uh, arrived to the market and what that means for gold. What it means for gold, we're going to talk about the uh, disastrous developments, of course, in the Middle East uh, with the uh, terrorist attack from uh, from Hamas into Israel, and then the the counterattacks into the Gaza, uh, and what it means for the energy energy market. We're going to talk about uh, different uh, different crops as well, um, soybean, uh, etc. So, Ole, if we start with the uh, the fun the fun thing, if you can call it that, you know, the whole narrative around. Uh, higher for longer, uh, and then peak rates. Peak rates being that the Fed goes into a pause mode now. And uh, you had Waller out speaking the other day, indicating that that is in fact going to be the 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 case. And um, if we hit the peak rates and we also see a softness of the economy, maybe we also get what the market is pricing in some rate cuts. And and I mean, if if that becomes a trajectory from here, how how will that influence the gold price? Well, it uh, it should uh, imp- impact it uh, quite positively, uh, Peter, because if if we look at how how gold has been behaving uh, this year or the last last year and so, where we've been through a period of uh, of dollar strength, especially most recently, and also uh, surging yields and gold's ability to actually hang hang in there uh, despite of these uh, these headwinds. Then obviously, if the opposite starts to occur, uh, with the yields starting to uh, flatten out, short end uh, rates coming uh, eventually coming down, uh, then that, that that is really the trigger that we have been waiting for, and we, we have shown in in previous presentations that how how gold has been performing in the months and quarters that followed a peak a peak rate scenario in the U.S. Uh, we've had three of those during the past 20, 20 years, uh, twenty three years, and uh, all three of them led to strong gains in in, in gold in the, in the subsequent months. So, um, so we most certainly, I mean, the, the, what we've seen this week was also the uh, the foundation for the rally in gold was almost near perfect because uh, we went we went into we entered this week. With a uh, with hedge fund holding a net short position in gold, it doesn't happen that often. But it's been they progressively been giving up on gold. Uh, prices were dropping and down towards that eighteen hundred level, and uh, they ended up basically last week holding a net short position. Then came the uh, then came the the, the Middle East de- developments over the weekend, g- giving the market a bit of a, a safe haven bid on Monday. And then on top of that, we suddenly had all these uh, Fed uh, members almost lining up in a queue to uh, to tell the world that uh, the higher bond rates, uh, bond yields we've seen recently, would uh, basically constituted uh, tightening and 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 potentially did the job for them. And um, that has been really the the trigger that has uh, set this this movement in in motion. And um, and then we may ask, well, what should we be looking out for in in terms of whether this is, is whether this rally can, can will stick or not? I think it's really important to keep an eye on ETF flows. Um, we have seen many months of reductions now. Uh, it's it's been cut. Uh, holdings have been cut to a three and a half year low. And I think part of that is simply the fact that the funding cost or the cost of carry of holding a commodity position, especially something like gold, uh, which are uh, and silver, which is regarded as 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 pseudo money, um, it's basically has been has been rising. Uh, if you have a one year T bill in the US uh, where you can you can get more than five percent return, then that's obviously the opportunity cost you have by holding a gold for the same duration, and that will only really start to have a. Uh, not have the same 
amount of negative impact when we get to the point where where interest rates, the short end interest rate starts to peak out. We have actually seen that as well during the past week. I sent out a note yesterday. You can find that on analysis.saxo where you can see the correlation between this this uh, funding cost and the develop on the direction of gold. So um, if we start to see that become less of a, a focus, I think we took, we could see ETF uh, holding start to move back up again. Especially also as Peter, as we we've been highlighting in in in, in updates and in in our recent outlook, that uh, there is still a stagflation risk out there, and uh, and that potentially could be uh, be be adding some some support to gold because maybe some there will be pockets of strength in the stock markets, but there will also be be some sectors that will be uh, be performing poorly in, into such a scenario. Yeah, and and you know. Um... It was very clear that with the whole debacle we had back in in March, with uh, Silicon Valley Bank uh, going bust and uh, you know interest rates coming down and the whole narrative and, and the pricing of Fed futures changed, um, that was very positive for gold. And at at that time we were trading in gold spot uh, uh, north of 2000. Right now, uh, as we are speaking, only we are trading at uh, 1882 and. Yeah, I know you're looking at the 1950 uh, level as sort of the key resistance level, but but what 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 do you think about today? So because we have you know a U.S. inflation report, the CPI report is uh, is is uh, could could also impact the the gold price. What do you think on that? Oh, absolutely, and uh, that that uh, CPI report is just coming out in between. We're recording this and we're sending it out, so uh, so it it will be obviously uh, very interesting. We did see a slightly strength, slightly stronger PPI number yesterday, not having any any significant negative impact on price in fact we as we mentioned we are trading close to that 1880 level and and looking at the chart it's it's really a that 8085 uh, band is is the current band of resistance that uh, that if we if the cpi number can take us above that level then then uh, i think we should start to have a reasonably clear run up towards that, those key areas of of resistance that i mentioned but cpi is is most certainly key because the market will now look for confirmation of that recent change in rhetoric from the from the FMC, and obviously, if if CPI surprises to the upside, then uh, then there might be some hesitancy in 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 the in believing that that message. Uh, but uh, the market right now is is buying into it. We've seen the uh, the SOFA contracts, the short end futures contracts in the US. Um, they have or in dollars. They have basically gone from pricing in seventy-five basis points uh, worth of cuts next year to almost a hundred basis points. So, uh, so these are also some of the the, the indicators we'll keep an eye on uh, during and after that CPI release. Right. We uh, right. We we're going to um, to shift gear a little bit because um, you know one of the areas of the commodity market where there has been a lot of action recently is in the energy market. So we have had we've been in. This uptrend for quite some while. Uh, Saudi Arabia has been doing their production cuts, um, etc. And then, you know, the events over the weekend in uh, in in Israel also turned its screw on on the on the energy market. And we had a, a gas um, a, a gas pipeline leak that seems to have been uh, you know intentional from external forces, which has also complicated the uh, the energy situation. I don't know. Where do you want to start? Because you can go from the oil angle uh, on the geopolitical risk, or we can talk about gas. So you basically decide uh, which market you want to to focus on first. 
Well, let's start in the Middle East and move uh, uh, spread out from there because, uh, as we can see on the oil price, uh, the the initial search on Monday, which, which there was basically a wall premium that the market was pricing in, uh, not so much due to what's happening in in uh, in Israel and Gaza because obviously it's not a an area where oil is being produced, but it was more obviously the the concerns uh, how much Iran was involved with this. Uh, it comes at a tricky time. Just a few weeks ago, the U.S. released six billion dollars to a frozen capital. Frozen money back to Iran in exchange. There was some prison to, prisoner exchanges. There was some some uh, signs of of uh, of a loosening up in, the, in in relations, and then this happened. Um, so the market obviously worried that uh, if Iran was involved, it could lead to a uh, some kind of retaliation, and with that, a, a drop in demand or drop in supply from Iran. And what we have to remember this year, so far, the main countries where the, the main production growth. This year has come from Iran, simply because the U.S. has been turning a blind eye uh, to that increase. There are sanctions in place, but there is a bigger fish to fry a further up north in Moscow, basically meaning that uh, that, it, that all the oil that could be pumped was uh, was was welcomed, and uh, Iran t- took advantage of this increase in production. U.S. shale production has risen as well, and that's been mitigating some of the, uh, the sub- cuts we've seen from, uh, from OPEC+, Plus, obviously led by Saudi Arabia, which at this point is cut by by more than two million barrels, so that's the oil stories. And since then, the, some of those worries has uh, beta. We saw yesterday the New York Times uh, uh, citing intelligence reports in the U.S., basically indicating that uh, the Iranian authorities were not uh, were taken by surprise uh, by the of the was surprised by this to see this attack. So um, we, we it's a long story. It's a it's a we haven't seen the end of it. That's for sure. So there's still some upside risk, but what we have managed in the meantime to close the gaps that were left open on Monday. That's quite often uh, that can, that is quite often weighing on the markets when we see these gap openings uh, higher. That has now been closed. So I think we can there's still a risk we could see prices move higher in the short term. But staying in the Middle East and the impact on the energy market, you mentioned the gas, Peter, and that's really where we've seen the bulk of the uh, the, the impact so far. Gas prices in Europe uh, has risen to uh, 50 euros. It's basically where the winter months were priced just a couple of uh, just a few weeks ago. Now we are before we into winter, uh, and with full storage uh, with storage levels in Europe uh, near maxed out, we're already seeing a price trading at the level that uh, otherwise were expected to last through the winter, or where you could have hedged yourself throughout the winter just a, just a few weeks ago, and that is simply because for several reasons. You mentioned the the Baltic pipe. Uh, line bursting in in between uh, Estonia and Finland um, again seems like it has been it, it that that uh, break has had uh, had some help from outside and uh, that's obviously not not a good uh, good development. On the same time, uh, Chevron was ordered by Israel to close down production temporary one of the major gas production sites in the Mediterranean. That uh, that platform supplies a lot of gas uh, via pipeline down to Egypt. Egypt has LNG um, facilities that can uh, transform this gas into LNG and and ship it up to Europe. So we basically, due to that shutdown, we we are receiving less. We potentially could receive less LNG in the coming weeks uh, from Egypt, and uh, that will obviously add to the supply concerns into the winter. There were also a little bit of worries about the uh, Suez Canal, uh, if the uh, that that fighting could lead to uh, to rerouting of of uh, ships um, around the south of Africa. So far, we haven't seen any anything on that front. So it is primarily once again the the supply risks into uh, into winter, and once again, um, the, Russia is is part of the, part of this concern. 
All right. And what about the, uh, there was all these talks about strike in Australia and how it would impact supply uh, of available LNG into the global market. Has that uh, strike been averted completely and, or is that still a, a threat that is hanging over the, uh, the the LNG market? The the threat is still there, but uh, I think there's always been the, the, the belief that any strike action uh, would be short-lived and uh, should be sought to sort of resolve itself before we head into the peak peak demand season. So uh, So for now, it's more... It's more the the risk of uh, of Russia using uh, the gas as a, as a weapon against Europe. Uh, one thing is that pipeline, but there's still gas flowing from Russia into southern Europe. Uh, that that could could potentially be a concern as well. So um, so it, it's it's primarily those those developments that we need to uh, to keep an eye on. And then simply uh, what kind of weather we get this uh, winter, not only in Europe but also in Asia, which is also a major major buyer of LNG. But before this yeah. uh, spike, uh, yeah, uh, before the spike happened on 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 Monday, Peter, we were actually seeing we actually saw them uh, seeing the oil market come down quite a bit from the from the peaks just uh, recently, where we almost uh, got close to a hundred dollars in Brent, and it is it is concerns that the demand outlook is also showing signs of of uh, weakening, and and the big question is really what at what price level does gasoline prices start to negatively impact demand? And the big question there is: is uh, we're trying to get some answers to to that by looking at the U.S. market, where we have weekly data released, uh, especially the one last week. Where, well, we have a weekly implied gasoline demand figure. That one dropped last week to a seasonal 25-year low. Uh, that's based on a four-week average, and that really got the uh, that really got the speculators running uh, for uh, or the bulls running uh, for the exit uh, because that that does that would indicate imply a, a sharp drop off in in activity i think we have to take that with a pinch of salt simply because it it that number measures the the amount of um, diesel that is being bought by the forecourts by the petrol stations and as prices were coming down they were ordering less diesel and gasoline and, and hoping for to buy it at a cheaper level a cheaper price so they didn't want to have buy have too much inventories while prices were coming down so i think we should see a counter move uh, in the, in today's number and also in the in the following numbers but um, it does obviously indicate that we are that it's not a hundred dollar plus Brent that will hurt demand. It may, we may already see it now. All right. Um, we need to talk a little bit about the uh, the uh, the crops, uh, uh, the wheat, soybeans, etc. Um, there's a lot about you know you talked about the weather. Um, I read um, I think it was Bloomberg that carried the story that uh, weather patterns have actually destroyed or, or created a very bad harvest for wheat in China. So. So Chinese buyers or, or, or you know agricultural uh, traders are, are you know running around the world trying to scoop up some uh, some wheat because of their own production. But um, what's your focus? Uh, what's your focus? Because uh, you know it is all weather related. And, and what are, what are we seeing? I mean, the prices seem pretty depressed on soybeans. It they are indeed, and uh, they're just uh, basically soybeans were the remaining uh, crop that uh, was holding up reasonably well. Uh, corn had uh, drifted off, and uh, wheat has been under pressure for for quite a while. But uh, bean prices are down to twenty two months low. We uh, we just saw. Uh, I think part of the the uh, the, the driver behind that is um, basically an improved outlook in in the, in Argentina. They just uh, came out yesterday, uh, increasing their harvest to uh, projection to fifty million tons from forty eight. And just remember, well, not remember, but last year they were they had a, almost a crop failure. They only produced twenty million, so a massive 
recovery in the production in in uh, Argentina, and if you add to that uh, Brazil, which is probably good, which is heading for an export uh, a record production of 150 five tons million tons, then obviously the U.S. producers are squeezed, and that's really what it's all about. U.S. Uh, prices, so uh, soybean prices, wheat and corn prices, which are all based in based on the futures market in Chicago, based in dollars. They have to come down in order to be able to compete with uh, with with plenty of supplies from other other suppliers, especially uh, when it comes to corn and soybean in South America, and when it comes to wheat, it's uh, it's a story about Russia and partly also Ukraine, and that's probably why we, even though we have these stories about China, we also have the the El Nino worries about the Australian crop this uh, in the coming months. That wheat prices remain uh, also on the on the uh, on the on the on the weak side, so. Basically, I think the conclusion is that we we survived another year. We uh, weather-wise, we ended up with uh, with with conditions that uh, that supported a, a strong crop, and that will take us uh, that will take us through to the next season. But uh, again, we 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 are we are obviously watching El Nino in the coming months and see what kind of impact it has uh, uh, on on Australia uh, from a from a potential negative impact and South America from a potential positive impact because El Nino normally brings wet. Uh, condition to uh, to South America. So, um, so, but generally, um, just in conclusion, we've had a strong we had a strong crop year, which which was much ended up being much stronger than what the market feared just uh, at, at, in in uh, in spring and, and early summer. And then just finally wrapping this up later today, we've we've got the monthly World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimate report out, and uh, the market will obviously be looking for any changes from any change in the protection from the U.S. government regarding production and yields and uh, stocks and so on. So that that potentially could uh, uh, trigger a bit of fireworks later in the day. All right, so good to have you back on uh, on uh, commodities. All I think we got uh, around the uh, almost the whole world. Um, so. In the uh, in the week ahead, watch out for uh, for gold. Gold is really coming back uh, on the on the notion of potential peak rates. Also, the um, risk premium coming in from uh, from developments in the Middle East. Watch the energy markets, the oil market, and also the natural gas market with the latest developments in uh, in Europe. And then, of course, again, watch the uh, the crops market, soybeans and uh, and and wheat, etc. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely not. Uh, boring in commodities these days and uh, we'll be back next week again with uh, another podcast on commodities thank you for listening